Hey everybody, this is So Heidi and you're listening to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. We all know that the fashion industry is brutally competitive and it takes loads of hard work to get ahead. The problem is that everyone's secretive and tight-lipped about their ways. After working as a designer and educator for over a decade, I wanted to help break down those barriers and bring you valuable knowledge from industry experts. And this show is exactly where you'll find that. Whether you're trying to break into the fashion world, make yourself more marketable, launch your own label, or become a successful freelancer, we'll help you get ahead in the cutthroat fashion industry. This is episode 21 of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast, and today I'm chatting with Billy Whitehouse, who's been called the Elon Musk of fashion. Billy's launched multiple successful wearable tech products. Her most recent product, Naughty X, is a line of activated yoga apparel that listens and responds to your body. In the interview, Billy shares why you need to put your customer, not yourself, first, why you'll probably fail a hundred times, and that's okay, and that getting funding may be more attainable than you think. This stuff isn't rocket science, that you can do it. It is a matter of perseverance. It is a matter of like a really great list of investors that might potentially invest in your area. Before we jump into the interview, I have a quick favor to ask. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help me get bigger name guests on the show by leaving a rating on iTunes. With more ratings and reviews, it gives the show leverage in convincing higher value guests to do interviews, which brings you even more valuable content. It only takes 60 seconds and I'd really appreciate it. Visit sfdnetwork.com slash review to leave your rating and thanks for your support and help. To access the show notes for today's episode, visit sfdnetwork.com slash 21. Now on to the interview with Billy. Welcome, Billy, to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. I would love to have you start with telling everybody a little bit about who you are and what you do in the fashion industry. Absolutely, and thank you very much for having me. Um, so my name is Billy Whitehouse. I am the CEO of Wearable X, and Wearable X really sits at the intersection of technology and fashion. We've been building wearable technology, for lack of a better term, um, but specifically electronics inside clothing for the past four and a half, almost five years. Um, And that has ranged from everything from vibrating knickers for couples in long-distance relationships (laughs) uh, to fan jerseys that are connected to live sports data, and most recently a product called Nadi X, uh, which is uh, yoga pants that really try to connect you with learning yoga in the easiest possible way. Yeah, and congratulations because you guys ju- are shipping those this month. Is that correct? Very, very soon, in fact, yeah. yes. And that's something you've obviously been working on for a really long time. It has been in the works for some time now. Yeah. It is. I mean, it's constant. I think the the joy of what we do is that it is ever-changing, and I think in this new like space of design, you have to be able to learn and think about software, about hardware, and them both being interchangeable so, like solutions always. Mm. Um, and that, I think, is something that fashion certainly isn't used to dealing with. Yeah. And so, okay, if we can start like a little bit more from the beginning, because if I'm not mistaken, I know you, you, you did the – it was called Funderwear, right? The vibrating undies? Exactly. Yeah, Funderwear. And and then you had a couple other products um, that you did. You mentioned the fan jerseys and, and you had some other things, a, a GPS blazer jacket type of item. And if I'm not mistaken, a lot of those you did as collaborations with other brands. And then the, the Naughty Legging is your first um, product that you're doing on your own. Is that right? 
That is right. Yeah. So um, not all of them were in collaboration with other brands, but okay. uh, some of them certainly were. So yeah. Durex and Havas partnered with us to build Funderwear. Yeah. Um, and that was in 2013. So quite some time ago now. Yeah. Um, then we worked with Fox Sports in Australia to build the first fan jersey, which at the time was called the Alert Shirt. Um, and that was specifically for AFL football, which is, it's also called Aussie Rules. It's quite different to any game that exists in the US. And and then we did, a, like, a few other partnerships. Like, we built some prototypes for Oakley. Um, we did some really interesting work over here for some professional sports players, um, some of which turned into commercial projects, some of which were more, like, research-based. Yeah. Um, so we really were uh, more of an agency-style company when we started. Ah, that's interesting. And so, I mean, those are some pretty pretty big names that you just dropped. I mean, how were you able to build your business up to the point that you were co- doing collaborations with these giants? You know, I mean, Fox News is huge and Durex is huge. And were you going out to pitching to them or they were finding you guys? How did you get to that point to even, even do some of those large-scale collaboration projects? Truly, it was a bit of a mix. Some of it was very much organic and people did come to us. Um, we had, I would say, a delightful amount of press about some of the successful stories we had around our products. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then often we were pitching. Um, when it comes to I mean, the real specifics of it, I think, I actually think so even Bud Light, they came to us, which was like such a delight. Um, whereas uh, Pepsi, on the other hand, we went after. So it, it's, it's very much a mix. Yeah. And, um, you didn't take any funding initially, did you, for the first few years? Yeah, we bootstrapped for the first, like, two and a half years. And and then when you decided to launch Naughty, you, did you guys go after funding then? Yeah, I mean, so about, so I said, the, the company's about four and a half years old. Okay. So about two and a half years in, which is about two years ago, yeah. um, we decided to, to look at some outside funding for two different reasons. Um, the agency model had been really hard work and that's not to say that it's not really hard work now it really is um but it's a different kind of work you're not working on someone else's timeline on someone else's budget and i'll be really honest in working with some of these brands the expectations of timelines were just a Mm. bit unrealistic yeah and so we weren't properly able to dedicate the right amount of research the right amount of testing to all the things we really really wanted to um and so now that we you know have our own our own funding behind this we really can build those teams out properly and even then we still we're still learning this isn't a, a one-stop shop and i think that's what's really interesting about this space is that it there is no uh, like final solution it's a constant learning and that's why software inside apparel is such an interesting mode yeah and so, um, you know, a lot of I'm, – I'm pretty familiar with some of the sort of tech startup models and pitch nights and getting funding and stuff. But I think a lot of people out there listening um, might not be as familiar. And so from a perspective of working in the apparel industry, I, um, a lot of designers in my audience talk about, oh, I want to get funding for my label – um, I want to get some investment money. And so can you talk us through that process a little bit, like what that looks like specific to the apparel industry? And, and obviously you're working in a very fashion tech space, but, um, you know, what does that look like? And how do you know it's the right time to get funding? And how do you know if your idea um, is something that you can even get investment backing for? Yeah, very, very fair. Um, I would say sometimes you don't know. 
but you have to convince yourself that this is good enough to work on. And that for me is like step one. Um, step two, really depending on the space that you're in, in terms of a company and in terms of a product or in terms of a service, um, you really have to find who are the right investors for that space, which means taking a, excuse the language, shit ton of meetings. Um, and I mean, I was at a female investment fund dinner on Saturday night and there were some people in the space who took 140 meetings before they found one person who committed. Wow. Now that that is just like, like, as I said, a shit ton of time. Um, I haven't ever sat there and quantified how many meetings I've taken, but I'll tell you it's around about the same amount. Wow. And I have been shut down many, many, many times. It probably, I mean, I think I was really overly optimistic which A, I think I need to fuel myself, um, but B, I think also helps when you're in a meeting with someone who is putting you down. Um, so I would say that like I've had meetings, I mean, I met with people for about six months before I found the company that, that I truly believed were going to be the company to invest, but I knew that they were the company to invest immediately. And I think I, I actually almost certain I got on the phone to my mother and my co-founder straight after the meeting. I was like, this is them, like cancel all your plans. We're, we're meeting them this afternoon. <laughs> like, and so I had taken the initial meeting in the morning and believe it or not, I mean, I had, I'd had a phone call with them leading up to this first in-person meeting. Um, and then having had the in-person meeting, I basically just said, look to my co-founder, we're, we're making this happen. Yeah. Um, you know, we actually met them. This will make you laugh. Um, we met them, the, the now investors at a wine bar in Australia at about 10 PM at night. Just um, randomly. Which, no, no, no. I mean, it was coordinated. Um, oh, 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 but, oh, gotcha. Okay. But of course we had to whip out our underwear onto the table, at this <laughs> wine bar to show that we had working product. So, um, fascinating what we have been through. And I have done, you know, I have done many more bizarre things than that. Let me tell you. Yeah. And so when, you know, you say, Oh, I get funding. It's, it's obviously a lot easier said than done. And it's one of those things that, um, I mean, it's encouraging to hear you say you took a lot of meetings, you heard a lot of rejection, because I think that can be really discouraging for people on, on whatever level they're working on, whether they're out there just trying to um, sell their product or whether they're out there trying to get funding. Um, it's good to know that even the people that have succeeded, like you guys, it took a lot of hard work to get there. It didn't just happen. Yeah. And, and then I think a lot of people think that once you've got the funding, that's, you know, you can take a breath, but that's in fact not the case at all. The case is like, that is when the work really starts. Yeah. And I would say the first few months of working with our new investors was actually the hardest few months. Like, in fact, the hardest six months, six to 12 months of my life wow. was those, you know, that teething period of like, figuring out where, where does the power dynamic sit? How do you make decisions and feel empowered? Have you built the right team? Um, like all of those questions. And I think that was truly when I questioned myself the most, which, which of course is healthy. Sure. Um, and then there's a point of like, okay, now I just need to get shit done. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, okay. Just going back a little bit, you know, you said you took, you didn't calculate, but roughly, you know, over a hundred meetings, where were you even getting these meetings in the first place? Were you just cold pitching these investors and saying, Hey, here's some of what we've done. Can I set up a time to chat? So I would say, I mean, I had a little bit of fortune on my side in that I had the 
two year, two and a half years of bootstrapping behind me, mm-hmm. where I, I would say I'd been very strategic in my move to America. Um, so at at the end of 2013, I came over to like see if it would work. Is it the right place? How does this, how does this flare for me? Um, and I managed to find like a few key people that I thought were going to be very strategic alliances for us as a business. Um, one of which was Decoded Fashion, which I helped launch in Australia. Um, and then I had used that, I guess, as a, um, a lever to, I would say, move into a, a economy and a group of people that already knew each other really well in the US and say, hey, look, I do this in Australia, um, want to be a part of the community here. And I basically tapped into all the communities that were about hardware, apparel, design, retail, um, technology, fashion, and basically went to like every meetup you can imagine for mm-hmm. the first two years, mm-hmm. made a bunch of friends, made a like bunch of contacts. I would, I would rather call people friends than I would like my network. Sure. I think that, that word's a bit dirty. <laughs> um, and so I think that those two years in the lead up to that made the the contacts a little easier to come by. Um, that being said, I mean, I joined some amazing, amazing female entrepreneurship groups that really changed my perspective on it as well. You kind of realize that this stuff isn't rocket science, that you can do it. It is a matter of perseverance. It is a matter of like a really great list of investors that might potentially invest in your area. It's also a list of like comparative deals that have gone on and who those founders are and who you could reach out to. And I would say that the fellow founders in the fashion tech space are some of the nicest, like most genuine, hardworking people I've ever come across Mm. who genuinely help. Um, So I've, I've seen mostly like generosity from that community who said like, Hey, I talked to this person. They either did or didn't invest. They either will or will not be able to help you. Um, So that, that to me was like enormous. It was tapping into the, the group of people who'd, who'd been doing it longer than me and who were smarter than me at it. So never be afraid of asking for help. Yeah, even from what you may see as your competition. Absolutely. It's, yeah, it sounds like those people like, like – and I love how you put that word on them as friends and instead of the network because, you know, one thing um, I think can be easy to do is every time you go to one of these – dirty word networking events um you can, it's really easy to go and feel like you're just like pitching yourself and it can start to feel really dirty and salesy and so instead look at it like hey i'm just out here like i'm doing some really cool stuff you're doing some really cool stuff like let's just have a chat as a friend and looking at it a little bit more casually i think your relationship building is going to get a lot further than if you're out there constantly looking to sell and pitch Absolutely agree. I think the the sales pitch gets really boring really fast. Yeah, it does. Even for the person giving it. Yes, it sure does, right? Mm. <laughs> um, and so what are you seeing? I mean, it, the fashion tech space is a really interesting one. Um, there's some of the really obvious products out there, but what you guys are doing is so like – you know, this legging that helps like give you cues when you're, you're doing yoga as to like how to get in, in a better posture. Um, and some of the stuff you did in the past, the, the vibrating underwear and the GPS blazer, it's really, really interesting. And it's outside of this, um, sort of, I think the obvious stuff that, that at least what seems obvious to me is some of the smart jewelry. Um, so where are you really seeing the industry going um, in terms of what is the true future of fashion tech? Yeah, I, I mean, very, very <laughs> broad question. Um, 
Two things. I would say we've moved away from, well, we are moving away and it's constant, um, this, this idea of just the quantified self, which really was like the big movement with Fitbit, with the shines, um, even with, you know, OG watches. It was all wrist devices, which I like to call the arm party, mm-hmm. that just literally counts for you. Yeah. And, and I'm seeing uh, like a big shift away from that to far more emotional pieces. Um, things even like Bella Beat that have like really interesting design that are selling really well um, that are built for an emotional connection beyond just the numbers. So that being like the one foundational shift that I think it's gone from being like, how can we make your life more efficient? Rah, 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 let's act like robots. Um to being like, how do we make your life more beautiful mm. um, and meaningful and interesting? And that, like, from a, I guess, from a sensory perspective, I think is really important. Yeah. Um, the the shift in terms of what's happening with smart jewelry and devices, um, I think, is still happening. Um, and it, I think design has to lead. So it was actually a really beautiful article on on Fast Company today about um, what we really need to do to build and design a better future. And and it is truly about the the systems, not just systems thinking, um, but that cross-pollination of different industries uh, to be able to transform artifact design into something that, you know, can withstand this test of time and the evolution and the pace of evolution that we're now at. Um, and I think that is where we're getting to is it's not about just another device. And I actually really hate that word device. Um, but it's about things that like make you feel something. And I think that to me is where we've always really wanted to focus our attention is this isn't just about quantifying yoga um, and isn't about saying your yoga is right or, or wrong. It's about making yoga more accessible and a little easier and to, to give you a practice that you sometimes can't do on your own or you can't do in a crowded class. Um, and that to me is what we were always trying to achieve. Yeah. I love that. Um, the idea of connecting with the emotional side instead of the quantifiable, um, because I think it's really easy to just sort of glaze over when we just get all this data and these numbers um, spewed at us all the time. Um, so where where does the birth of some of these ideas come from that you've done over the years? Are these like personal problems that you've experienced, or do you how much market research do you do? Um, I mean, and you could use the the yoga legging as the example for that. Yeah, most definitely it's a combination of the two. So uh, certainly personal practice. Um, I have a yoga practice and do find it quite challenging sometimes. <laughs> um, and and also what was happening in the market. Like we've never really seen people wear leggings as much as we have in the last <laughs> five years. Yeah. So paying attention to people's consumer habits, then I would say building like Frankenstein versions of the pants and putting them on people and asking them questions about how they feel and what their response are, responses are to that particular idea. Mm-hmm. That certainly is part of our practice, but that really happened in 2015. Um, so again, that's, you know, we constantly have to reiterate and put it back on people and reiterate, put it back on people um, and there are always things that we're going to change. And I think that's part of the joy of what we build is that we can do that. Yeah. Um, 
Now, so yeah, me personally, we have a we've been working on what I'll call like this language of the on the body, um, and we sometimes describe it quite like writing a song um, because we use vibration to create different frequencies, intensities, um, different I would say melodic harmonies on the body, um, and those different like repetitions of vibrational patterns mean different things. So that's um, that's something we even started building with Thunderwear. And we learned really interesting learnings from that. And what we've done is just got better and better and better at it and made it more sophisticated with far better integration, made it more washable, all the things that you have to do as a as I say, like a fashion company, mm-hmm. um, while keeping the, the technology skew. Yeah. And so, I mean, uh, on one level, you guys have been working on the actual technology side of it. Um, the, the same technology, not the same, but on a base level, the technology you've been using for about four and a half years and you've slowly been integrating it, improving it, and then just changing its exact use within the product. Exactly. So it's a, it's a long growth cycle for some of that technology. I mean, what do you see now with where you guys are at versus when you launched your first product in terms of how much um, advancement in, in the technology that you're using? There's so much advancement. It's a vastly different product. It yeah. doesn't even resemble <laughs> the original one. Um, even some of the original ones. I mean, honestly, there are some little pieces of the first ever Funderware that truly I made by hand. Um, that actually still have been then replicated into this latest version of Nardiex, which I find hilarious, <laughs> um, which is, which just means that like we got it right the first time, which is bonkers. Yeah. But there are other things. There are certainly other things that we could not have got right. Um, but I mean, there are, you know, you learn different parts of the puzzle as you go. Um, and we're now in a far, far better position for it. Yeah. Um, and is there anything you guys are working on next that you could, that you would be able to talk a little bit about, or is it all confidential? Yeah. I mean, so we we're intending to launch a bra in the coming months. Uh, it's most likely going to be 2018. Uh-huh. Um, but it has some really exciting features, some of which are a, a meditation feature, um, that, I mean, there's so many reasons that vibration is interesting on the body and, point blank, uh, quite literally raising your own vibration, which often people do through breath work or through Mm -hmm. meditation um, and tapping into those vibrations on the body, which not everyone can do. Um, Also using vibration as um, like a timer for breath or um, even that constant reminder to roll your shoulders back and down. Uh, Less about like posture when you're sitting at a desk, um, which there are products out there for that, but more, you know, when you're taking that time to do a personal practice. Yeah. Um, so that, that would be, um, a great companion piece to the legging you guys have right now. So kind of just looking at expanding that collection within this, a similar space. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, I mean, what are your, just your personal thoughts on, on this whole thing? I mean, right now, like I'll be totally transparent. I do not own one piece of wearable tech. Um, what I would consider, I mean, I think I've got my phone and that's really all that I have. I don't have a Apple watch or anything. Um, do you really see the future of this going towards a place where, I mean, who would have thought we'd be using these crazy iPhones and being able to do everything from them, you know, 20 years ago, it maybe seemed more like, you know, Star Trek style, but do you really see that maybe in 20 years or I don't know what the timeline might be that, that most of our, 
our product, our, our apparel is going to be smart? Yeah, I honestly do. I truly do. Okay. I, um, and whether it happens this year or it happens in five years, uh, there has to be someone to lead the way. And if it's not me, someone else will do it. Um, I, I truly, if we, if you look at your house and how many Alexas and nests and, um, and even computers and iPhones that are sold every day, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, making your other parts of your life more intelligent is truly actually only inevitable. Mm-hmm. Um, what hasn't been done well is the execution of what the data really means for someone. Mm. Now that I think there is the an opportunity for a someone like us because we we truly do, I would say, transform data into a sensation on the body. Mm-hmm. But also from a, a data visualization perspective, there is such a avenue to do something beautiful with this, which I think some people are now trying to do. Um, And I mean beautiful for the customer, not for the enterprise. And I think that's the biggest difference is I I truly see this as something to empower everybody's life rather than empower, let's say, the Fortune 500 companies. It's, um, I mean, I, and I, it's changing with some of the products we're seeing on the market, um, now versus a year or two or three ago. But I think there was a time where a lot of it was feeling really gimmicky. Um, and, and we're sort of like you're saying, transforming into something that's beautiful for the consumer. And so getting past that gimmicky phase, and maybe that's just the stage that the, the industry has to go through to kind of get over the initial hump, um, but do you see that some of the real gimmicky stuff sort of fading away and, and more beautiful products on the market? I mean, I am seeing really interesting things. Um, and whether it's, I guess it's, the word gimmicky is so, like, icky. <laughs> um, I think if you are designing for experiences, um, then you can truly create something that is delightful. Mm. Um and, and some of those experiences can and have started small. Um, we've seen, you know, everything from different payment bands at festivals that, you know, some people would call gimmicky that have actually just now been integrated really successfully. Like every festival has a, a wristband, not only for their VIPs, but also like a, it integrates across multiple different things and it can be tapped into your credit card. Like that's mm-hmm. just something that is there. Mm-hmm. Um and, and so it, for me, those experiences are a little bit more memorable. Um, that's clearly not the kind of wearable that I build. Yeah. Um, but I think that that area is, is far more, I would just say, accessible for people to understand from a consumer's perspective. Um, when it comes to, like, I guess the multiple risk devices that have existed, um, I would just say that the, the market was flooded. Yeah. And I think that that's, that is true to what happens. I think no one's been creative enough to do something really fascinating with the data yet. Mm. And, and I truly, truly believe that there is something incredible to come. Um, but again, it can't be focused on the, the enterprise. It really needs to be focused on the consumer. Yeah. That's a great um, point to kind of wrap up on is just really, really focusing it. Who are you building this product for? Yeah, you are trying to be a company and be profitable and and um, grow. But at the end of the day, you, the consumer has to be the number one person in your eyes to build a successful brand and product and business. 
Yeah. yeah. I agree. Awesome. Well, Billy, I know you have to wrap up. I will end with um, the question I ask everybody at the end of the interview, and that is, what is one thing that people never ask you about working in the fashion industry, but you wish they did? Hmm. Um, I almost, I guess it's more um, the, like, why did you get into this? Because I think fashion fashion really is like this beautiful glorified industry. And, and I think I grew up with some of that fantasy and I would almost say dystopia mm. um, because, because my mother was also in the industry and I, I witnessed very much behind the scenes of not just how hard, like even young design students have to work, but how hard everyone on all facets of this industry really, really works. And it, it is like 2am nights is just, that's just part of the deal. <laughs> like that is not something that I think ever really goes away. It seems. Mm. Um, but I think the, the, why, the, why did, you know, you want to empower fashion with, I would say like intelligence. People don't often ask that question with that same delight that I think is, is really important. Um, and the answer to that for me is, you know, we have to, as designers of technology and designers of experiences and I would say of designers of the future, you have to design for the things that make us truly human. Um, that one of those is intimacy of which I believe we designed for. Um, one of those is, you know, connection to other people, places and experiences, which to me was where our found jersey was aimed at. And then one of those is that self-awareness. Um, so, you know, being one of the few mammals that can identify self. Um, and, and what does that really mean in tapping into that deeper self? And, and that's really the ambition of Nardi X. Um, but on the bigger, broader scale, like we're one of the few, if not only animals that actually protects ourselves with clothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, so why not, you know, enchant that experience uh, with intelligence, the way we've enchanted so many other parts of our lives. Yeah, I guess it's just the next thing in in line, and it's happening now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us today, Billy. Um, please share where everybody can find you online. Absolutely. So we are at Wearable X, and I am at Billy W House, and our website is wearablex.com. Awesome. And I will put links to all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time today. It was really lovely to hear about your journey and everything you guys are working on. Amazing. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate your time. Thanks for listening to episode 21 of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode, visit the show notes at sfdnetwork.com slash 21. And since you made it this far, you must have liked the episode. I'll remind you that more ratings and reviews gives me leverage to convince higher value guests to do interviews, which brings you even more valuable content. If you can take 60 seconds to leave a review on iTunes, your tiny bit of help goes towards making the show better for you and everyone. It's super easy to do, and I'd really appreciate it. Visit sfdnetwork.com slash review to leave your rating, and thanks for your support and help.